Please do turn with me tonight to our text, which is a single verse, 1 Timothy chapter 1, a well-known verse, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Martin Luther called this verse, this text, the little Bible. The little Bible. He said that of a number of verses, but this one, it was certainly true. The little Bible. A verse which seems to contain everything necessary. In the whole of the Bible, it's been compressed into just a sentence. Sometimes we might know people that have that gift or that handicap of saying very little with lots and lots of words. We call it waffling or maybe rambling. But you know, sometimes the worst are us preachers. They say so little. And they use lots of words to say so little, but that's not true of the Word of God. We see in God's ways there is an economy, an efficiency. I could speak about creation, I could speak about salvation, but if we just think about the Word of God, look at the book of Proverbs. A whole collection of sayings with pithy, concentrated truth within them. What about the parables? They're not long. Some of them are just two verses, and yet there is so much there for us. What about those pithy phrases that we find? Let me try you out with some which are just a few words long. In the beginning, God. That explains so much. We don't need another cause. We don't need another reason. We have the explanation of time, of creation, in the beginning, God. What about this? Jesus wept. Two words. Two words. The Son of God cried. Why? The pearl of great price. Pearls before swine. Some of these come from the Tyndale translation of the Bible. And if you were to ask people on the street that haven't been to a church for ten years, they'd have some inkling of what these things mean. The prodigal son. I am the door. We thought about that recently. The thief on the cross. It doesn't say two thieves, just one. And as we've just sung, it is finished. What an economy of words. If you take a big book, and the Bible is relatively speaking a big book, and you're to try to distill it down, you would normally, if it was us, you would lose so much of the message, the impact, you would leave something important out. But not Paul, when he speaks with divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. No, he takes a big book, 
And he's got it all, as we shall show tonight. All the elements are there. They say with Scotland that there is a part of Scotland that's known as Scotland in miniature. The Isle of Arran, beautiful place. It's got mountains, it's got valleys, it's got hills, it's got lush, it's got arid, it's got everything. The Isle of Arran. The Bible in miniature is this verse, as Luther said. At the turn of, not this century, but the last century, there was a bit of a craze to take the Word of God and to try, without losing any words, to make as small a Bible as you possibly can. And there was one man that seemed to have cracked it, and the Bibles that he sold in tens of thousands of copies was just 43 millimeters tall, 4.3 centimeters. You can find some of them today, they sell for tens of thousands of pounds. But this is what we've got tonight. Let's look at this verse. I see at least seven things which are taught. We'll go through them very briefly tonight. We have here a message of truth. We were thinking about truth yesterday at the Jude Conference. A message of truth which is trustworthy. We have, secondly, the center of this message. The center of the whole Bible surely is Jesus Christ. His person, the promise of him, the prophecy of him, his words, the promise of his first coming, the promise of his second coming, oh, no doubt. The center of the Bible is Christ. It's not quite the central words, but nearly in this verse, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. That's the key verse, the key person, rather, in this verse. We have, thirdly, the key problem of the human heart. It says, sinners, sinners. That's all of us tonight, sinners. Fourthly, we have the reason he came, that Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, came into the world. The incarnation is here and explained. Fifthly, we shall see that it's a personal response that's required. Of whom I, I, if only the preacher tonight could speak personally to every single person here. I can't do that. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes with convicting, awakening power, and he takes the words from the page, and he enables, like the Apostle Paul, to say, of whom I. We have here, sixthly, the right attitude, an attitude of humility. I desire that would be your response and mine tonight as we look at these words and then finally, we shall see briefly, we have the right action. There is an acceptation, an agreement, a taking in, as we shall explain. So let's just go through these headings. 
Very briefly, do you know when the word of God is put into such a compact sentence, it doesn't get complicated. It gets even simpler. I think we see the divine hand of God in this verse tonight. Firstly, we have a message, a message of truth. If you're listening to this tonight, this is a verse that you can use in personal witness. It's a verse if somebody says, explain to me, what do you believe? You've got seven headings that you can use in this verse to explain the whole message of salvation and of the Bible. It's a message of truth. Truth. We don't want to hear things that are not true. It's called here a faithful saying. The word literally means trustworthy, reliable. You can put your life on it. You can depend upon it. Sometimes when they make an aeroplane, they have thousands of components. There is a piece of software that's used in many companies that was invented by a German company. It's a complicated piece of software in my business days. We installed it in several companies and it was a complete disaster. It was far too complicated. There are so many components and to make a Boeing aeroplane you had to use this piece of software. But you know if just one component was missing, as we saw on a plane recently, a loose screw in a window or some such, the plane would be grounded. But we have here a message that's utterly trustworthy completely reliable. That's not true of advertising, is it? I can still see that picture on the side of a house near where we lived in London and it said, smoke for your throat's sake. A lie. They thought at the time it was good for you. It wasn't true. It wasn't reliable. Social media, it's free. No, you're the product. You're the one being sold. Your data being sold. What are the politicians? We'll stop the boats. They haven't stopped. The year has gone by. They say so much, but we can come to this verse and we see this is a faithful saying. Paul says it five times. In the New Testament, this is a faithful saying. You can rely upon it. Put your life on it. Put your soul on the truth of this message. We can't say that about very much at all. It's timeless. It's unchanging. It's utterly relevant and reliable since the first man and woman fell. These truths these truths mentioned here of a coming and of an actual and of a historic Savior we can depend upon. Many here tonight, if you were to ask them, have you relied upon this truth and this message? They would say again and again and again, in sickness, in the hospital bed,
at the graveside, in the losses of life. I've come to this message, I've come to this word, and I've found it to be so true. So true. Not a word drops to the ground. This is a faithful saying, worthy, worthy of our acceptance. Well, what of its key person, the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul says it's a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus, the one that changed history, the one that the whole of our dating sequence before Christ, after Christ, everything points to him, to the incarnation. There is no gospel without Christ. There's no hope, there's no life, there's no meaning without Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, came into the world, the central character, his divine power, his approachability, his love and tenderness, his compassion. It came to us, we couldn't go to him, but he came to us. Who else could say, I am the bread of life. Who else could say, I am the living waters, I am the resurrection and the life. These were monumental, gigantous. We have to make up words to explain the breadth of what he was saying. I am what I am. I am the one who is the same yesterday, today and forever. Christ Jesus, the key person. Do you know him? Is there someone here tonight you know about him, but you don't know him? You don't know him personally. If there was no one else in this room, would you speak to him? Would you have a relationship with him tonight? Can you say he has died for your sin? He's taken my punishment. He stood in my place. His righteousness, his perfect life covers my dirty, vile, sinful life. That's the Christ Jesus that Paul is talking about here. Let's move on. We have the key problem. You can't make a distillation of the message of the Bible unless sin is there. People don't like sin. They want to use weaker words. They want to say, mistakes, I fell. I had an error of judgment. I made a slip. No. Sinners. Puts us all into the same bucket, doesn't it? Notice here, there's no adjective before the word sinners. It doesn't say that Christ Jesus came into the world to save penitent sinners. He didn't come into the world to save sinners of a certain category, a certain race. He just says to save sinners, unqualified. All sinners that will accept him. All sinners that will come. You go to a doctor tomorrow morning. 
You go and you ask her or him and you say, will you treat me? Do you know the doctor only has one question? Are you sick? Not, do you deserve it? Do you earn it? Can you afford it? He or she just looks and says, well, is this person making it up? In fact, there's a rule that says is if you step over the threshold when you go into the doctor's surgery, you have to assume that the person says what they mean and there is something wrong. But Christ Jesus calls sinners. That's the qualification. That verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 59, verse 2, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. That's all of us. All of us are in the great divide, away from God, at a distance, separated because of sin. That makes us sinners. We're qualified. All of us are qualified to speak and to come to the great physician. Saul, he knew about this, did he not? Wasn't he speaking of himself in verse 13? Who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, one that caused injury to others. But I obtained mercy. I obtained mercy from one that I didn't deserve to be forgiven by. He put his self-righteousness to one side. The one who was born in the right family. The one who sat at the right teacher's feet. The one who wore the right clothes. No, Paul. He didn't deserve salvation. But he had to realize he was a sinner. Let's look fourthly. Why did he come? He came to grant salvation. Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake, becamest poor. This is the incarnation. That's why he came. He came for the poor, for the lonely, for the needy, for those that would acknowledge their lonely. One of the speakers yesterday, rightly I think, he said, the greatest problem that he sees in the world today is fear. Fear everywhere. Fear of the year ahead. Fear of sickness. Fear of war. Fear of everything. Christ Jesus came to take fear away. Perfect love casts out fear. That's what the Lord Jesus did. He came to take fear away. Are you fearful tonight? Is there something troubling you? Go to Christ, the one who came to take all fear away. We have the reason, salvation. He came from heaven for sinners. He came to save. We're all in the same boat. It's sinking. If Christ is not in the vessel, we have no hope. If we don't have him with us, we have no saviour, we have no help, we have no rescuer, no deliverer, no one that will call to us.
and we can call on him. Let's come quickly to this response, the word I, I. It wouldn't be the gospel unless it included the word I. You can't come as a family. We've got some here. You rely upon your families. I'm sure you do. You have godly parents, godly grandparents, godly great-grandparents. You can't come to Christ and say, we. You have to come and say, I. I. Let's look at your sin tonight. I don't know your sin. You do. Don't tell me your sin. Go and tell Christ what you've done, what you've been, what you are. Come and say, I. This is the individual's response. Review your life. Don't dwell on everything it would take too long, but come and think of your worst sins, your categories of sins. Name them. Think them. I remember my grandfather. He had a stroke in 1972. He lost for a period of weeks his memory, but as soon as his memory, gracefully, gratefully, mercifully, it came back, he got a pen and paper, and with not very good writing, because the stroke had affected him, he wrote down all his sins. He had a godly heart. The first desire was to be right with God. As soon as his memory and his mind started to come back, he had to put down before the Lord his sin. Have you done that? Would you be right with him? Would you say, I, I have done the deed. I have thought this. I've done that. It was me. It was as though I put the nails into his hand. It was as though I put him on the cross. It was as though I whipped him and scourged him and I put the crown of thorns on his head. It was I that did the deed. I. That's how we need to think. He's no saviour to you unless you can say, I come. I come. Let's look sixthly. How does Paul think of himself? He says, I am the chief. I don't want to argue with Paul. But I think there's other chiefs here tonight. Are you the chief of sinners? Is that the way you look at your own life? Do you think everyone is better than I? Not I'm better than others, that's the way Saul used to think. He laid out all his qualifications. What a change from being the one who was so proud and arrogant. He killed Christians for fun. And now he says, I am the chief. Do you feel like that tonight? Do you feel that you're at least equal with Paul? When you think of what you've been, when you think you've sinned against light, 
Some of you have known the gospel for so many years. You've sat in this chapel for decades. Yet you've not said, I am the chief of sinners. You've not said, I did it. I'm the one. But Paul did. What a turnaround, 180 degrees. The proudest becomes the worst. I am the chief. That's the only way you can come to Christ. You can't say, I've done this and done that. I'm better than. I can look down on him. Hitler was the worst. No, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst. If you can't come like that, you can't call for mercy. Because maybe you're coming thinking you just deserve just a little bit. Maybe one percent me, some of self and some of thee. And as the hymn goes on to say that we sing, no, all of thee and none of self. Is that what holds you back? I am the chief. But let's come to the most important bit. This is just a gospel on the shelf. This is just a gospel in miniature. This is just a gospel that's irrelevant. Except for that word, acceptation. It means that I need to receive it. The word in the Greek means a bit like somebody in the ancient East who was traveling. You go past a house, maybe it's the only one. There's no inn, there's no pub, there's no hotel, there's nowhere. And you knock on the door. You don't know what reception you will receive except in ancient times. It was unthinkable not to open the door and to accept the traveller in, and to say, here is a bed, and here's a meal, and here's a drink. When I was in Sri Lanka, just recently we went to see one man, we'd never met him before. We didn't speak his language. Sooner or later we had food laid before us, bananas, biscuits, and then a sickly sweet drink of milk so much sugar in it I thought I can't drink that but it was from their cow they'd milked the cow and they wanted to show us the best hospitality they could to give us the best I had to drink it it was their cow acceptation you go to Christ He's much better than even the most hospitable person in the ancient East. He will come to you, but what of you to him? You know he will receive you, but you won't receive him. That's what the verse says. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of you accepting him. Have you come to him? He comes to you tonight. He comes maybe for the last time for someone. Someone listening. I'm sure somebody listening tonight 
this might be the last time. Would you consider what he says to you worthy of being accepted into your heart, into your mind, into your life, putting your trust in him for your soul, your never-dying soul. This is a saying worthy of you accepting it, receiving it, trusting it, relying on it. This is the gospel in miniature. Salvation in a sentence. You can go through every word. It's chosen by the Holy Spirit. It's there to help us sweep everything else away. It's all there for you tonight. Dwell on it. Meditate on it. Go to him and tell him, I am the chief of sinners. Will you accept me? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we bow before thee tonight. We see the truth of God distilled like a garden of flowers into a drop of essence so beautiful, so fragrant, that there is hope for all as long as we see our sin and feel our guilt and will go to Jesus Christ, the one who will accept us. But will we accept him tonight? Oh Lord, help us tonight. Draw near to us, we pray. Convict of sin and awaken the heart and come and do that regenerating work that only the Holy Spirit can do. We pray this in Jesus' name.